One Sacred Pause with Jessica Windurl. Hello, yogis. Welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm Jessica, your host, and um, this is the final episode of the first season of the podcast. So this is episode 12, and I just want to thank everybody so much who's been listening and supporting and liking and subscribing and sharing and all that good stuff. Um, This really was a passion project that I've been thinking about for the last, gosh, year and a half. And um, it's always so much fun to really see something come to fruition and put it out there into the world. And that that actually is a little bit about what we're going to, or what I'm going to talk about today. Um, But first, I just want to acknowledge that I'm recording this on Monday, the 24th. This is the harvest moon. And a lot of interesting energy is going on here and shifting and changing. And for me, it's just kind of coming full circle that I'm recording my final podcast of the season on this day. Um, It's been a very busy and uh, productive day for me, which always makes me feel good, especially when it's a Monday. Um, Mondays are usually my day off during the week because I'm typically teaching all weekend, whether I'm in workshops or Um, leading teacher trainings. And I got back last night from a weekend workshop in central Norway that I was teaching and hit the ground running this morning. So I'm giving myself a little shout out, a little pat on the back. Good job. Good job. (laughs) Anyways. um, Yeah. Thank you for your support. And, you know, I recorded my first solo podcast a few episodes ago. I think it was number seven or number eight. And It was a really interesting experience for me just sitting in front of the microphone by myself and putting it out there, talking about things that were really personal and not having the safety net of another person to kind of pick up the slack when I dropped it or for me to pick up the slack when the conversation naturally tapers off and um, definitely was a little uncomfortable listening to my own episode. So I also want to just give a really special thank you to everybody who listened to that particular episode. I had um, a lot of people reach out and message me and and send me emails and stuff about that. And it's just, it's really special. So I appreciate it so much. So today or tonight, um, yeah, second round, you know, everything always gets easier the more we do it, just like teaching yoga, surprisingly. So Tonight, I'm going to talk about um, something that's been a theme for myself um, for a while, and it's this idea of taking responsibility for our happiness. And I know responsibility is one of those words that's super unsexy, that's up there with ethics and integrity and morals, (laughs) and it's kind of ironic to myself now that those are like my favorite things to talk about. Um, I've been teaching a lot of a yoga ethics workshop recently in the last year or so and talking about the yamas and the niyamas and, you know, how these can help guide us as humans having the spiritual experience and living our yoga off the mat. And so it can be a little off-putting sometimes. We're like, oh, what a drag. It's like discipline. It's like routine. Ugh. But when we really sit with this idea of responsibility, it, it really presents us with a choice. All right, well, if, if we are responsible and we are 100% in charge of our happiness in most circumstances, then, oh my gosh, all right, well, we better get with it. Um, and it took me a long time to really understand this lesson. And it's kind of a big pill to swallow, too, because... All of a sudden, there's no curtain to hide behind. There's nobody else to blame. There's no justification for why we're not taking action to create change in our life, if that's what needs to happen. And so the way in which I have framed this experience for myself is directly related to one of the niyamas, Santosha. And it's this idea of contentment. And it's not happiness. It's not like, okay, we're striving after this like, you know, crazy ecstatic happiness all the time. Like, no, that'd be manic and (laughs) actually an imbalance. Contentment rather is this idea that's like, it's like this very sweet secret 
that we hold on to for ourselves. And it's very deeply rooted in the heart center, in the intuition in the belly, and in the clarity and calmness in the mind. And when we have this contentment, it allows us to ebb and flow with a little bit more grace and a little bit more ease through the challenges of life. And so that when we are presented with these choices that we have to make, um, it becomes maybe a little bit easier to act with integrity, a little bit easier to take responsibility, even when we don't want to. Man, you guys, adulting is hard work. And I'm not going to lie, there are days where I wake up and I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) I can't believe all this is happening. I mean, my website keeps continually getting hacked and my provider isn't doing much to help. And it's just, you know, we have those days, we have those things. But I, I always dial it back a little bit and I think like, okay, well, in this very immediate moment where I'm upset or challenged or things are happening that aren't really awesome or ideal, the question I ask myself is, okay, what's, what's the worst thing that could happen right now in this moment? And with the exception of death or serious injury, usually the answer is, hmm, not much. But as humans, we are so good at, of course, creating stories around every little thing in our life and building up these dramas. And when we do that, it actually almost gives ourselves permission to give in to the justification or the rationalization to take the easy road. To say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to apply for that promotion because, you know, X, Y, and Z, maybe I'm not ready, maybe I need more education. Okay, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? You get denied. (laughs) All right, well, that's not really going to be the end of the world. It might bruise your ego a little bit, but um, then you have information. And maybe you get feedback that, oh, yeah, actually, you do need more education or more experience for that particular scenario or um, example. But for myself, when I ask this question, like, okay, what could really go wrong here when I'm stressed about something from the business end of what I do? And it's like, you know what? Uh, Usually I realize that if I don't respond to an email fast enough or if I think I miss an opportunity, usually I'm, I'm just kind of, I feel better about it because I'm like, you know what? In the scheme of things, my business isn't gonna crumble. Um, my relationships aren't going to fall apart around me. (laughs) My dogs are still going to love me at the end of the day. And I have a beautiful home and I have clean food and clean water. And all in all, things are pretty damn good. And so that's what I mean when talking about like this, this framework of contentment in which to then invite ourselves and hold ourselves accountable for taking responsibility for the happiness of our life. And I talk about this in teacher training programs and workshops a lot because so many times, I mean, probably several times a day for many of us, we get into this mind trap of spinning these little stories like, okay, well, if only I get X, Y, and Z, then I'll be happy. If I can buy that purse, if I can date that man, if I can get that job, if I can do blah, blah, blah. And we're really attaching this um, expectation to an outcome. And it's external. It's completely out of our control. And so when we realize like, oh my gosh, how is this possible that I'm trying to pin my happiness, like this very important, precious thing, on something that's external that I have very little control over. Like, that's madness. So then it's like, all right, well, what what do we have control over? Like, how do we become okay with navigating the unknown? And again, I, for myself, find it helpful to kind of think macro and then move into the more, um, I don't know, micro elements. So first of all, I am so, so grateful when I think about the fact that I'm a woman And, you know, when you consider that roughly three quarters of of the female population around the world experience things like being forced to get married, child brides, general mutilation, 
They are um, slave labor, basically, in a lot of places. And, you know, baby machines pumping out the kids, and they are ex in existence purely for men's pleasure. And when I think, oh, wow, okay, so I'm in the very fortunate quarter, say, approximately, of the population where that's not been my experience. And I have the privilege of a college education. I have the privilege of owning my home. I have the privilege of choice. And, you know, I get to spend my days talking about yoga and practicing yoga. And it's just, it's mind-blowing to me that given all this set of facts, this set of circumstances, I could then find a million things to nitpick and be negative about and get down on. And this is where this practice of trying to cultivate more contentment, more understanding of, or clarity rather, on the picture of what's really going on. So when we talk about contentment and this deep-seated, very quiet I don't know what I'm trying to think of what another good word would be, but it's for me, I feel it. And I'm, I'm really into talking about where we feel emotion in the body because I think it's very helpful for us to get in touch with and process emotional response rather than repressing it or ignoring it or trying to, you know, shove it away and be like, okay, well maybe I'll come back to this tonight. I'll think about it later. It's like, no, okay. When you feel an emotion in your body, like stop <laughs> right in the moment, breathe, and process where it is. And so for me, when I have this, it's almost like a surge of this very, very calm and quiet energy when I think about contentment. It's just hard to explain. And I'm sure that all of you listening have had experiences like this where you know what I'm talking about. It's not the high high of like, oh my God, it's my birthday, it's amazing. And it's not the low, low of like, wow, life sucks. This is awful. So many bad things are happening right now. It's somewhere in between. And it gives us this touchstone. It reminds us that, in fact, we have a lot to be grateful for, a lot to be thankful for. And so that's where this very concrete practice of gratitude journaling comes in. This is one of my favorite practices to help remind myself about the contentment. And when we step into the space of gratitude and, and the things that we're thankful for and the things that we are so privileged to get to experience in this particular incarnation of life, um, it kind of loosens this attachment to negativity and to those very same outcomes and expectations that we have to external validation. So for me, when I get really clear about the things that I am grateful for, like, oh my gosh, wow, I had the privilege, I had the choice to walk away from my corporate job and teach yoga full time and ultimately start the Atman Yoga School and move to a foreign country, Norway, where a lot of people are just so thankful and grateful to be immigrants here like me. And when I kind of like go back and reflect on the patterns of my life and the trajectory of my life, it's like, wow, okay. And I'm still living in my head in this drama about that weird thing that person said to me offhand that I'm like, what did she mean when she said that? Hmm. Does she not like me? Does she think I'm X, Y, and Z? You know, and then we go down this like rabbit hole <laughs> and it's all distraction and it's not helpful. It's not productive. We all do it. And we all do it many times a day. So coming back to, all right, well, I'm grateful for all of these things in my life. And even if that woman didn't like me, even if she doesn't like what I teach, even if she doesn't like what I stand for, well, that's fine. I'm not pinning my happiness on her external opinion of me. I know that my self-worth is something that I've explored and I'm comfortable with and proud of, actually. And it took me a really long time to get to that space. But now that I'm here, it's a no-brainer a lot of the times. Um, I had somebody tell me recently that um, someone had said something about why they shouldn't do my teacher training because it's in English. And I heard that, and I just laughed. I was like, oh, man, you know, 
I get it. I'm in a foreign country, Norway. People speak Norwegian, but everybody speaks such awesome English here. And the reality is if you want to travel and teach, um, you kind of need to be able to teach in English if you want to teach outside of Norway. And I just, I laughed because I was like, gosh, man, that, that comment could really have spun me out a while ago, you know, many years ago. But now I'm just like, well, all right. <laughs> the people who want to, you know, experience what I'm offering are going to find me and they're going to come to my training. And the people who don't, no skin off my nose, that's fine. And so for me, that's a real practice of carrying this contentment. So when something happens in life that I'm not in control of, I don't have to let it pull me so far off course that I, you know, am in despair. And this really kind of reminds me too of, of you know, jealousy and the comparison game. And, you know, that exists everywhere in life. And it certainly is alive and well within the yoga industry as well. Um, teachers get jealous of other teachers and opportunities that they have. And, you know, that's a normal, natural human reaction sometimes as well, especially when it comes from this fear-based mentality of, oh, my God, there's not enough. And, you know, if she gets it, then I can't. And it's not necessarily always a case of either or. And in fact, for myself, like I, I'm kind of working on this mentality of not just abundance. Um, I think that's kind of a cliche thing to say like, oh, I'm all about the abundance. Like, all right, well, what does that mean? <laughs> for me, it means security and safety. And, you know, I don't feel the need to drag other people down or other teachers down in order to try and create that safety or security emotion for myself. I think it's counterproductive. I think it's a waste of my precious energy. And frankly, I don't think it's acting yogically to devolve into backstabbing and gossiping and, you know, all the dark, yucky stuff that we definitely still see in the yoga community, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I know for myself, I definitely felt when I was a new teacher, um, and even before I started teaching yoga, like there was a real pivotal shift in my life there. And it had a lot to do with this very topic of not necessarily jealousy, but more of a wistful, uncertain, I wish I could figure out what I want to do with my life, but I don't know what it is and I don't know how to get there. And I would see other people who seemed like they had it all together and were really like moving forward in exciting ways in their life. And I was like, oh, how do I get that? I want that. And the joke is, of course, you know, a decade plus later, <laughs> the way in which you get that thing, that inner light, is by finding this, you know, very satisfying relationship with yourself so that you realize you don't have to rely on other people or, you know, try to make other people give you something that you need to feel good about yourself. No, it comes from within. And that, again, just falls right into alignment with santosha or contentment. And I get it. Like, it's hard to take this into action because we do get fearful and we're too afraid to take a risk or take a chance and push back against the status quo and a lot of times that fear, if we really investigate and unravel and, and look at the underlying root of the fear, a lot of times it has to do with how we think we're going to be judged by others. And it's just this crazy cycle where we're living our life trying to, you know, meet some expectation that we project other people to have upon us. <laughs> and we're trying to meet it. We're trying to meet it. We're trying to meet it. And we don't even realize that most of the time, you guys, nobody's even paying attention. Um, there was a really awesome quote that I read about this a few days ago, and I wish I could find it and remember where it was, but um, it has to do basically where we spend our whole lives trying to impress other people. And then we get on our deathbed and we realize nobody was listening anyways because everybody else was too busy trying to impress other people. And I think that's such an authentic and true commentary on human nature is, and especially now, gosh, with all of social media and how we're constantly connected and 
more than ever, um, we're leading into more of like this narcissistic behavior that is how many likes did I get and who's watching my story. And it's just, I, I, I don't know. I don't even have words for it because it's really sad, um, in some ways. And of course, I think there's some grand, uh, karmic reason all of this is starting to unfold and play out as quickly as it is and and the manner in which it is. But I want to stay on track and come back to, you know, this idea of fear and being afraid of, of chasing our dreams and doing the things that ultimately are going to make us happy from inside. Um, And what we do, like, how do we get over that hurdle of judgment from other people? And, you know, it's, it's tricky. Um, one of the things that I like to do besides the gratitude journal is play the yes, no game. And it's, it's better if you can do it with somebody you trust, like a really good friend or your partner, um, because then you don't know what's coming and it truly is a gut intuition reaction, but you can play it with yourself where, you know, I would sit in a chair tall, straight, take a few deep breaths, make sure there's no distraction around and just start to ask yourself questions and you have to respond yes or no quickly as you can. So it's not like, um, should I quit my job? Hmm. I don't know. I'd really like to, but gosh, it's really safe. I get a paycheck every month and I have the pension and (laughs) that's what the mind wants to do. The thinking head mind, and we want to tap into the intuition of the gut that is a little bit closer in alignment with um, our inner truth. So, if you catch yourself doing that, totally normal. Just say, All right, stop, pause, reset, <laughs> start it over again. Should I quit my job? No. Okay, that was a quick response. Well, maybe there's still some other things you need to figure out first. Maybe you need to make sure you have more savings in your savings account. So it's not the financial part that's making you feel um, not ready. Or if the answer is yes, okay, you're ready. You know, now take action, which sometimes is the hardest part, even once you know the right answer for yourself. But here's the thing, everyone, and I learned this, and it really just, for me, it was I guess it was just like the kick in the pants I needed to kind of get over myself (laughs) and this thought that all these people were watching my every move and, you know, I had to make sure I was doing everything the right way so I didn't upset them or, you know, I didn't, I wasn't the person that I wanted them to think I was. It's like, geez, Louise, that's exhausting. (laughs) What about the person I think I am? or the person I want to be. This is my life. This is your life. And it just, it's so crazy to me. Now that I'm a little bit out of it, I'm like, wow. Oh man, all the years I wasted worrying about what other people thought of me when I could have been living my own life. And here's the other thing too, you guys, we have to be really kind and compassionate to ourselves. And I really think that all good things in all time. So whenever the timing is right for you, it's going to happen. I used to get down on myself about not finding yoga sooner. You know, I see girls in my training or in trainings I've taken who are 18, 19, 20, 21. And I'm like, man, how lucky are they to have that kind of guidance at such a crucial age in your life. And then again, I'm like, all right, Jess, dial it back. Let's see um, where can we find like the contentment in the situation and the privilege of that you even found yoga and the spiritual path that really resonates so deeply with you. And I also look into my early 20s that were super painful time for me. And I look back on that and I'm like, gosh, I wouldn't change that for anything, you know, because that's what really gave me uh a sounding board or a um, platform in which to start my self-inquiry and kind of like a baseline, a bottom baseline for what happens when we're not in touch with spirit and what happens when we're not in touch with self and when we are deeply rooted in expectations of other people and how we think we need to show up in the world, even if we're miserable inside. And 
So I look at that as a really important learning experience for myself. But, um, you know, this comparison thing just comes up all the time. So the thing is, though, that nobody shows up or is going to knock on our door and show up with a silver platter with a little key on it saying, oh, here's the key to your dreams. Here's the key to your happiness. Here's how you're going to live out the rest of your life with freedom and joy. That's, that's not going to happen. And I had an experience um, many, many years ago where I kind of had a huge blow to my self-esteem and and it came through a roundabout way of uh, casually dating a guy who had an ex-girlfriend and she was super cool and she was doing this and she was doing that and just all of these amazing things. And it was just like bombshell after bombshell going off. Where I was like, oh, wow. And I compared myself to this woman and I was like, man, I've got nothing going on in my life, which wasn't really true, but that's how I felt. And it really just reframed my experience of, all right, am I just going to operate at this this state of homeostasis where everything's just kind of, you know, as is? Or am I going to push myself beyond my comfort zone, my current comfort zone, to start to take risks so that I never have to feel this way again, so that I can be happy and proud and excited about what I'm up to? And it's not, again, from a place so other people can, you know, give me a pat on the back or be like, wow, you're so amazing. You're doing all these cool things. No, it's so that I feel good about myself, that I feel like I am doing the things that make me feel fulfilled and like I'm being of service and I'm productive and I'm participating in society rather than just being like a bystander. So this, of course, is leading up into what perhaps one of the ultimate practices would be to find this inner inner flame of quiet contentment. And that's the practice of meditation. And to sit in stillness and see what comes up and observe where you feel things in your body and observe your reactions to those things it can be really uncomfortable at first, of course. And, you know, for many, many like times throughout the rest of your life, it can be uncomfortable. But there's almost like this, not acceptance, even more than an acceptance, but it's less than an embrace. (laughs) Somewhere in between. I don't know what that would be. Um, Of that level of discomfort when you sit in stillness and silence and observation and, Ultimately, you know, we have these, the fluctuations of the mind that are designed to pull us out of connection to source and connection to self and keep us very rooted in this physical existence. So getting beyond that can be a challenge. Of course, it's always a challenge, but there's definitely a way in which we can find a little bit more stillness, a little bit more calmness in that space. And that's when we then can really just drop into momentarily, temporarily, a feeling of bliss, a feeling of calm, a feeling of peace. And when we have that feeling and we feel it come from within, it's a very different experience than having somebody from the external world give us kudos or say, you're amazing, you're so awesome, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Those two experiences have very different feelings and emotional reactions. And you know, of course, it always feels good to be appreciated by other people and, you know, have someone tell you you're doing a good job and they're proud of you and all these things. But again, yoga kind of gently nudges us into this direction of trying not to attach too much expectations onto what people think of us, good or bad, and rather allow that feeling to come from within. And so, you know, when we start to play around with that and, and, listen to the information that we get from our intuition about what's really important to us. What do we really care about? Then maybe we can start to encourage ourselves to have the courage 
to take steps and action into accomplishing those goals that we have to help us get closer to our dream, to help us feel more comfortable in our own skin and, you know, ultimately have, have the sense of self and rootedness that comes from understanding of the self. Hey, Yogi, are you ready to deepen your yoga practice and gain the tools to confidently teach a yoga class? Join the Atman Yoga School for one of their next teacher trainings in Norway with 200 and 340 hour programs and weekend immersions offered around the country. These trainings offer an inclusive, warm and supportive community and are designed to serve the needs of the modern yogi while honoring the ancient wisdom of yoga and Ayurveda. Check out their website today for more information on the upcoming trainings at atmanyogaschool.com. That is Atman, A-T-M-A-N, yoga school, in one word, dot com, atmanyogaschool.com. Join the tribe today. And here's the thing too, you guys, that is a little bit of a practice for sure. But when we start to step into that space of taking action to go after our dreams, we have to do so unapologetically. So what that means is, and especially, you know, for women, a lot of times we, we do this so much where we put a qualifier <laughs> before what we do or we say like, oh, I'm just going to do this or um, it's not that big of a deal. It's just this thing I'm going to try and, you know, if it doesn't work, it's fine. I'm just playing around and we downplay our accomplishments and our dreams and what we're going after and you know, I get as we are expanding beyond our comfort level, perhaps that's the starting point, but the goal would be to eventually move beyond that. And so there are no qualifiers. It's just as this is what I'm doing. This is what makes me happy. This is what brings me joy. And there's no explanation needed. And I think that's such a powerful lesson for us to practice in life. And when we do that, there's really this strongness and the sense of um, rooting down into our confidence and our our esteem that comes from that like oh gosh wow I'm sorry that person didn't like my class or I'm sorry that person isn't down with what I'm doing but mm, oh well (laughs) move on with my day and I think that's such a healthy place to be um but it takes work and it takes a lot of practice. And, you know, it took me several years to get to that place of, huh, all right, not everybody's going to like me and that's okay. I don't want everybody to like me because that would be exhausting too. Every single person I meet gets a percentage or some sort of a filtered version of who I am in order for me to fit in with what I think their expectation of me is. Blah. <laughs> Man, I got bigger fish to fry. And, you know, if, if people aren't on board with what I'm doing, no problem. Because there are people who are. And, you know, this is also part of the practice of yoga is as we get more discerning about our time and our energy, we really start to realize where we want to prioritize placing our time and our energy and the people in our life who uplift us and who are doing things that support us rather than dragging us down and you know can we surround ourselves by people who want to talk about spiritual path and inquiry and doing work and who aren't afraid to expose vulnerability or to have the hard conversations about relationship whether it's with your friends or your parents or your children or you know You're super lucky if you can have those conversations with your boss, I guess. So we could include that. Um, But usually I think most of us probably not. (laughs) So having that ability to unapologetically stand in our truth and say it will bring us this level of contentment and allow us to take the responsibility for our happiness where it's like, all right, you know what? This doesn't work. The status quo doesn't work. And it's like, all right, okay, well, what do I think is going to work? How do I take this next step? And sometimes that's feeling like totally taking the plunge off the deep end of the pool where we don't know what to expect. We don't know what's on the other side of that choice. But hopefully there is this strength or connection or trust or belief in our intuition that when we put one foot in front of the other and we do the next right thing, 
it's going to be very hard for us to end up in a position where we're completely baffled. Like, what just happened? No. Usually it's like, oh, right, wow. Okay, buckle up. This is getting crazy. But we have that sense of confidence that we're going to get through it and that, in fact, not only are we going to get through it, but we're actually going to thrive when we get to the other side. And, you know, it's it reminds me a lot of this idea, too, um, of not playing small. You know, so often we take our cues from society around us and, you know, we're not wanting to stick out. We don't want to pretend like we think we're better than other people. And, of course, there's some degree of this maybe more in Norway than in than in the States, just because of the old Jentelovin uh, here. Um, but I think there's this like fake humbleness sometimes that comes into play where it's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I couldn't possibly do that. I don't want people to think that I'm full of myself or that I think I'm better than other people. And that's not really an attractive quality either. Um, I think that doesn't serve anybody. In fact, when we live in our truth and that inner light shines through and we light up because we are passionate about what we do and how we live our life and how we show up in the world, people around us are going to see that. They're going to be attracted to that light. They're going to be inspired by that light. And to me, like, I don't care if you are like super jazzed on widgets (laughs) or if your jam is making soap at home. Or if you want to talk about complex algebraic equations all day, rad. Get down with it. I don't care. But what I do care about is, are you passionate about something? Are you doing something in your life that brings you joy and that brings you closer to that vibration of source? Like you at your truest, truest essence. And that's what I mean when, you know, okay, well, responsibility is kind of an ugly word. But when we flip the script a little bit and we change our perspective and we change our attitude around this, it's actually very freeing to be like, wow, okay, I want to take responsibility for my happiness. Yes, sign me up. (laughs) And also when we do surround ourselves by people who are willing to take risks and willing to push the boundaries a little bit and who are unapologetic in who they are, that gives us a little bit of that permission too, a little bit of that support to perhaps try new things. And I just want to be really clear here though, people, I am not encouraging um, irresponsible behavior. So it's like, okay, yes, Jessica says, take responsibility for your happiness. Okay, well, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. That's not very responsible. If you don't have a plan in place to take care of your basic human needs, your rent, your food, your car, your transportation, um, you got to take some time and figure that out. And I've talked about that several times in previous episodes, uh, specifically for those of us who are yoga teachers and new yoga teachers. So there is kind of like this balance that we have to find (laughs) between being responsible for our happiness and just being plain responsible. We have to pay our taxes. We have to take the trash out. There's, you know, those are the adulting things that aren't very exciting or fun. Buying new tires for the car. Ugh, the worst, man. But that's okay. You know, then we come back to this idea of contentment, like, well, at least I have a car. At least I have the freedom of transportation. (laughs) And finding gratitude for what we have. And the more that we do that, the easier it becomes. And then hopefully when crappy things happen and we have bad days or one of those days where it seems like Murphy's Law is just fully in swing, hopefully we can find some humor around it. You know, laugh a little bit and be like, wow, of course, of course this is going to happen today. But what it really just comes down to, though, of course, is this idea that what other people think of us is none of our business. And what we think of ourselves is 100% our business. Do you like yourself? Do you like who you are? And 
I know for many of us, that answer might be no, or that answer might be, I don't know. And that's okay. Wherever you are when that process is totally fine. I have been the whole spectrum of things from not liking myself, not knowing who I am, which is painful and, man, caused a lot of suffering for me. Um, we, we can hopefully move towards more of an understanding of self. And through that, we strengthen our intuition, we strengthen our confidence, and we strengthen our ability to just live our life with that happiness and that freedom and a little bit of lightness in the body and the spirit. So I think that's pretty cool to think about like, wow, okay, this responsibility of my happiness, I'm in charge and I don't have the ability, if I'm being honest with myself, that's a big part of it too. If I'm being honest with myself, then it's very hard to pin our happiness on another person or on a situation. And it's like, okay, well, what if I don't get that that situation to happen? Or what if I don't have a relationship with that human? Or what if I don't have that fancy car or big house or designer handbag? <laughs> Am I going to be okay? And that's really just a question we have to answer for ourselves. And it's a really big starting point, I think, for this whole process of radical self-inquiry, which is really what this whole podcast is about. And the idea of one sacred pause and can we slow it down? Can we get clear? Can we get present? And then through that platform, start to unwrap and unveil some of these layers of self that perhaps we've been using as distraction and ways to pull ourselves further from happiness and contentment. And, you know, especially since we live in a society that's so based on instant gratification, we want it right now. And so it's very hard and very kind of unpopular, actually, to do the thing of like saving for something. And whether that's financial saving to buy something you want or saving of your energy, reserving your energy. So maybe making the less popular choice of like, gosh, that party on Friday night sounds super fun, but you know what? I know I'm going to have a really busy and hectic week, and if I go to that party on Friday night, I'm going to be shot for the weekend, and I have that big workshop I'm teaching on Saturday. So actually, the more responsible choice here would be to not go to that party, even though it's going to be really fun, even though I really want to. And we start to weigh out these, these choices and situations in our life. And of course, fear of missing out, FOMO can play into all of this too, but we start to prioritize how we spend, spend money, spend time, spend everything that's going on in our life um, with the energy and prioritize a little bit more appropriately. And that's going to be a different thing for all of us. So we, we get to decide that. But I don't know. That's really kind of my thoughts on this idea. And I think it's crucial for us. You know, we all want to be happy. We all want to feel like we're seen. We all want to feel like we're making a difference. And we all want to feel like we're participating in something bigger than us, our community and our society. And I think when there's so much division happening right now, uh, especially politically, and there's a lot happening with uh, the discussions around race right now. I think it's m just so important, maybe even more than ever, for us to get really clear about some of these ideas about happiness and where does that sense of self come from? And what do we do in a world that's so chaotic and crazy? And how do we find our center in the middle of all of that? And it really just starts with us. I mean, that's all we got. That's all we can control for, you know, to some degree, <laughs> to the best of our ability. And that's what the practice of yoga is all about, at least to me, is, all right, how do I find a little sane corner of this crazy world and feel good about myself while I do that? <laughs> So I think I'm going to wrap up this episode with a little bit of advice to new yoga teachers. So I'm switching gears a little bit here. And I don't know, it's something that's been on my mind a little bit lately. I've had several people reaching out to me recently uh, about some of the stuff. And so I figured, you know what, I'm just going to put some of my little nuggets of advice right here on the podcast. And, you know, maybe you'll find it helpful. Maybe you won't. But Coming back to my idea of taking responsibility for my happiness, well, 
If it doesn't resonate with you, no worries. So a couple of things that I, I try and tell and teach all new teachers that I work with. Um, you got to stay humble and you got to stay willing to learn and maintaining that beginner's mindset and staying a student is like the number one thing. And when we lose that, when the ego starts to get involved, whether either we we're like, okay, I've already been teaching for a while. I already know what I'm doing. Or we think that, you know, we don't really need to learn something new. Then we're in a really precarious situation. And I think the teachers that I know who've gone the furthest are the ones who are always like, yes, teach me more. Yes, I'd love to have some feedback. Yes, how do you think I can improve? And not taking it so personally or like it's an attack. And I know that's hard because for those of us who teach, teaching is so deeply personal. And we are sharing so much of our soul and so much of who we are And it's very easy for us to allow our ego to get a little bit tied up into that. So the practice of being not attached to how we teach, or at least to some degree, um, can be really hard. And I know, gosh, throughout the years, there have been a lot of teachers I've known who've gotten really, you know, pissy when people try and give them feedback. And I know teachers who have been so open and humble and like, yes, please, please help me. Please, you know, share your thoughts. And I know I am always really impressed when I go to a teacher's class, um, especially a teacher who's been teaching for a long time. And they're just like, Hey, you know what, if you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it. Super casual. And it's not like they are expecting me to give them feedback, but they're just letting them know that it's a possibility if I have something to share with them. And I think that's a really great quality to have. It's something I strive to have as well. Um, It doesn't mean we have to agree with them and it doesn't mean we have to take their advice or their feedback and change how we do things, but it could perhaps just open our eyes to maybe something we're not aware of in our teaching. And especially if we have been teaching for a while, we do tend to get into patterns and habits and ruts and, you know, how do we stay stay a little fresher and a little bit more present can sometimes be a challenge. So new teacher, stay humble. Don't think you know it all and um, keep being willing to learn. Keep staying thirsty and hungry for this knowledge and you're never going to get bored if you do that. That's the other thing where I know teachers who have stopped learning and have been teaching the same thing for years And, you know, never take any other workshops or other trainings. And it's like taking a class with somebody who's flatlining. There's no passion. There's no spark. There's no real hmm, interest in what they're doing. And that's kind of a bummer. So along those lines of staying humble, I think that new teachers also need to be really uh, realistic about their expectations with payment. I really always want to encourage all teachers to get paid what you're worth. Your expertise, your time, your experience, all of that is valuable and worth something. But there is a little bit of a difference between uh, a senior teacher and somebody who's been teaching for six months or a year. And so as a newer teacher, understanding that you're not going to be making as much as a senior teacher right out the gate. And that's okay. It's giving you, I think, a little bit of a break in terms of this understanding that you don't have to have it all figured out yet. And maybe you're still kind of cultivating your your voice and the way in which you teach and who you are as a teacher. And so I think that maybe taking advantage of that freedom is really an awesome thing. There's less pressure on you to perform or be this amazing teacher. And The reality is that the only way in which we can become a good teacher, a powerful teacher, is through experience. (laughs) Time on the mat teaching. There's no shortcut. And so if if we agree with this statement that there's no shortcut and it's just time on the mat teaching, that's how we're gonna build up our confidence and skill set as a teacher, that means at some point we are a beginner at teaching. And 
we are a beginner at teaching, not just for like our first week of teaching, but, you know, for the first few years at least, and maybe even beyond, depending on who you talk to, what kind of a teacher you talk to. So being realistic about that. And also uh, understand that as a new teacher, you might be given time slots that aren't as uh, convenient. And so there are a little bit of dues that I think new teachers have to pay in terms of when, if you get a studio job, which I also think is something that's kind of been forgotten the last several years is there's no guarantee you're going to be teaching in a studio. And so if you get a studio job, it's a huge privilege. And so keeping that hunger and that, sure, what can I do? I'll take any class I can. You need a sub? Great. I'm there. Just really that attitude of, of willingness and, um, excitement for the job and the position is super important. Then I think we got to talk about um, trying classes. Like, so as you are starting to develop your voice as a teacher, you're going to have a bad class. We all have bad classes (laughs) and it's okay. We just got to laugh about it, learn from it, and it's all good. Um, You know, I just some of the things I've heard come out of my mouth sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, take it back, take it back. And of course I can't. So being willing to take risks and make mistakes in that pursuit of really very passionately becoming the teacher you know you can become. So don't be so worried about making a fool of yourself and really work on strengthening your intuition because when you do that, then you start to trust that what you teach is going to be authentic to you and your message will be clear. And then when your message is clear, it makes it so much easier for students to respond to and connect to what you're saying. And I think sometimes teachers, new teachers are not reminded of this, that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to try things on and it's okay to say, nope, that did not work, not trying it again. And it's okay to be like, wow, that was interesting. I think I'm going to explore that a little bit more. And the other thing too for the new teachers is get a mentor. I think it's so important to have a senior teacher that you trust, whether it's somebody at your studio or uh, a friend, if you know people who've been teaching for a while. Of course, there's a lot of great teachers who uh, offer mentorships. So you can always find a teacher that way if there's somebody you really want to work with. Uh, But I think that's one of the most valuable ways in which we can grow as a teacher because we can have one-on-one time with somebody who can tailor uh, the feedback to them directly and help them navigate the business part of it and how do you set up a website and what should you call it and what should you charge and all of those questions that usually are talked about in a teacher training, 200 hour, but sometimes they're talked about really quickly. And so there's not enough time to really let it sink in and have all your questions answered. And those are the kinds of things that a mentor can help with. And I think that's just like the best thing ever. (laughs) It's so valuable. And of course, you know, this idea of staying a student. So continuing to take workshops, continuing to do more trainings and I personally try to take a training every year. I think that's just important for myself to stay fresh, but also for my own sanity. I am thinking about yoga all day, every day. I often dream about yoga, whether it's teaching or something to do with the business side of things. And so for myself, it's just, it's so nice to go and be able to turn parts of my brain off and just focus on learning and being around people probably I've never met before. That can be really refreshing and uplifting as well because you know they're there at a training with you. So you're going to find people who are on the path with you who want to talk about the same things you do and you can learn from one another. Be like, oh yeah, cool. What my studio, this is what we do. Oh, awesome. Yeah, my studio, we do it this way. And that's one way in which we can keep sort of the ego at bay a little bit so that we're not just constantly surrounded by the same people at our home studio 
constantly teaching the same things. And in fact, we get this infusion of inspiration. And that's so, so, so important. And let's see, I think those are my main, my main piece of pieces of advice to new teachers. Stay humble, stay willing to learn, understand that, you know, you might not get the most glamorous of teaching jobs right out of the gate, but you kind of have to work your way up to it. And then once you have a little bit more experience and feel a little bit more comfortable and confident in what you're doing, it is easier to ask for more money. It is easier to ask for a better time slot, perhaps. And here's the thing, too, that I think a lot of teachers don't talk about so much anymore is when I was first starting to teach, man, I had some bad jobs, some bad teaching jobs. And it was because I just said yes to everything. And I didn't get a studio job right away. It took a while. But I remember in particular, I had this job. And again, it was kind of this idea where I just wanted to get out there and like really, I was 100% gung-ho about teaching by the time I decided to teach. And I was like, gosh, okay, well, if I'm not getting as much jobs as I want or if I'm not getting the job I want, I'm going to try my own thing. And I went and I rented a kind of this cool community center thing every Saturday morning. And I did it for like three months or something. Each It was a monthly contract, month to month. The number of classes I actually taught, the number of students who actually showed up, I taught one class in that whole period of time. And so it was a little depressing. I was like, man, this is a bummer. How long do I keep going and how do I get people here? And it took a while. But what it taught me was a little bit of perseverance and a little bit of, okay, hard knocks. Like, I got to work for this. It's not just going to be handed to me. And then when I do get a teaching position that I'm super excited about, I'm going to take it seriously. And that's a big thing is it's easy to kind of be like, oh, yeah, it's just a yoga job. Oh, yeah, I just, you know, I teach yoga on the side. It's really fun. Or even if it is your full-time job, it's, I've definitely seen it happen where, you know, unfortunately some yoga people <laughs> have a reputation of being a little spacey or a little blown in the wind. And my advice to teachers is if you want this to be a career, you got to take it seriously. You got to treat it seriously. You got to be professional, show up on time, not sub out your class every week and be respectful to the people around you and the people in the studio and your students. So learning all of that stuff can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge and not as fun. You know, we all have visions in our mind of like, okay, walking into a packed classroom of 40 people waiting to just, you know, take our class. That's not always the reality. So we have to roll with the punches a little bit and be willing to maybe um, <laughs> not have the ego be as involved in some of the stuff. And I think that's when we really, again, just get to practice the yoga and not the Inhale, lift your right leg. Exhale, low lunge kind of asana yoga. But the yoga of being human. So I think that's all really important. What I got for tonight. It's getting late. I'm getting tired. And oh, that's it. I guess that's all I got. I just want to, again, thank you all so much. Um, please go check out the website, onesacredpause.com. If you're interested in learning more about what I teach and where you can find me, uh, my personal website is jessicawinderl.com and my teaching website is atmanyogaschool.com. So we have tons of exciting things coming up in January 2019, launching our first training in Bergen. So we have our, our trainings already in Oslo and Trondheim. We're expanding to Bergen and we are about to announce uh, a brand new program, 100-hour advanced yoga teacher training, so open to anybody who has a 200-hour cert, and it's going to be in a mystery location. We haven't announced that yet, but I am saying it is outside of Norway, but still in Scandinavia. So keep your eyes peeled. It's going to start in uh, end of January 2019. And of course, lots of different Restore and Yoga Nidra teacher trainings. Those are all weekend long, so you can find those. I run about two to three of those a year. And mentorship programs and yeah, all kinds of good stuff. I have a couple of retreats coming up, so I'd love to see you. And 
If you have any feedback for the podcast or if you have any suggestions of people you'd like to have uh, me talk to on the podcast, send me an email. Just drop it to hello at atmanyogaschool.com and I'll get it. And I would love to hear from you. So yeah, this is about community and uh, passion project and putting it all out there because man, I'm taking responsibility for my happiness and taking risks, even if it's uncomfortable, even if I'm not sure what the outcome is. So that's really what this has been a big experiment in with the One Sacred Pause podcast. And it's been awesome. I feel great about it. Just getting getting it out there and yeah, I have no idea where it's going and what's going to come next, but that's the beauty of it. I don't have to know and I'm not feeling any pressure to make this into something that it doesn't need to be. So that's it. That's all lovely friends. I hope you have a great day or night or whatever it is when you're listening to this. Hada!